Welcome to Taking the Higher Road. I'm Leah Shaver, President and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. Each week, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenge, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us, and your kind reviews keep us on the hunt for more great talent to put in front of you. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you're using to listen. I'd also like to thank and highlight the show's valuable sponsors, their dedication and commitment to the industry, and to this show are greatly appreciated. Today, I am excited and honored to be interviewing again one of the sharpest minds in our industry and someone whose immersion in the data behind trucking, transportation, the economy, the labor market, driver population, you name it, goes unmatched. Avery Vice, Vice President of Trucking at FTR, joins today's show for a conversation about all of those topics and more. Avery, I'm glad you're here to fill our listeners' knowledge bank of stats that they need to know. Welcome back to Taking the Higher Road. Thanks, Leah. That That's an embarrassingly glowing introduction, but but I do appreciate it. I yeah. thought we'd start off on a high note for you, sir. Sounds good. Well, Avery, you've been on the show before, and you've been in the industry for over 25 years, so you are a man who needs no introduction, really. But to break the ice and to give our viewers and listeners some insights into what you do day-to-day, I do want to ask you about your weekly State of Freight podcast. Tell us what you cover each week and why folks in the industry should tune in. Sure. Well, first, to you know, what what do I do? Uh, you know, it's a lot of internal meetings with colleagues and external meetings with industry participants. See how others are viewing the market. Uh, it's uh, looking closely at key economic indicators and what signs they may be giving us on demand and capacity. Uh, we have a forecasting model. I'm not going to go into detail on it, but basically, it 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 helps us identify how much freight, how much capacity, what the productivity is, and, and you know, leads us to a, a rate forecast. And there's a lot of number crunching involved, and I'm, I'm involved in some of that, but uh, it's really my job to compare that output with other sources of information and kind of communicate it. So specifically the podcast, um, Trucking Market Update, it's one of our state of freight podcasts. Uh, it's a weekly rundown, 15, 20 minutes usually, of some of the key uh, trucking-related and economic developments of the week. So we always look at how and, if we can, why uh, diesel prices changed, Why you know what's going on with the spot market in terms of rates especially, but also volume. Uh, and we look at economic indicators that are you know directly or at least closely related to freight. So things like retail sales, inventories, manufacturing production, so on. Uh, and we dig into what's happening once a month with employment in trucking and uh, the number of carriers entering and exiting the market. I generally stay away in the podcast from, you know, what we would call news uh, developments, but I, I do address certainly major regulatory developments that could certainly a- a affect the market dynamics. And of course, if something like, you know, yellow shutting down or uh, night swift buying uh, US Express happens, I can't avoid addressing that as well. So uh, if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, you can find the podcast at ftrintel.com slash podcast. Uh, and it's usually uploaded by the end of the day on each Tuesday. Got it. Well, let's dive into some of those indicators, starting with the macro labor market, as it has a big influence on the driver market. 
The U.S. unemployment rate has been under 4% for two years now, which historically is very low and indicates a very tight labor market. At the same time, we all see headlines every week, it feels like, about layoffs, both inside and outside of our industry. All of the buzz about layoffs aside, it doesn't really seem to be impacting the unemployment rate. Give us some context on how to cut through the noise that we all hear. Sure. Yeah, it, it does feel sometimes like we're in two different realities when we read you know, the news coverage and then we hear the uh, the actual data. Um, there's a couple of things going on here. First, you know, we do have to recognize that while the unemployment rate is quite low, the actual number of people who are unemployed is 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 a fairly large number. Uh, in January, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it was uh, more than six million people. So, you know, if hypothetically we have layoffs of sixty thousand people, that's just an increase of one percent, and that's that's assuming no, you know, increase in jobs to obviously take up some of those unemployed people. And of course, we do have job growth, and it's been uh, solid, and, and in fact, recently quite robust. Um, another point here is that, um, you know, companies often report layoffs that will be spread out over weeks or months. So, you know, that gets spread out. It doesn't all hit at time. But there is another factor behind low unemployment rates that's more concerning. Um, unemployment calculations are not based on the total working age population, but on the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimate of the percentage of that population or, or the, the amount of that population that consider themselves to be in the workforce. And that's done by survey. So to put it more simply, just because you don't have a job doesn't mean you're unemployed, according to the government. Uh, and that's kind of an important point. Uh, e e even if total employment were not rising, that lower labor participation that we've seen since the pandemic would keep it depressed. And we're still about a percent below where we were before the pandemic. And that's, you know, that's basically 2.7 million people that are, that are absent from the, the labor pool. Interesting. Well, um, both FTR and NTI track the monthly pre-employment queries to the CDL drug and alcohol clearinghouse as a measure of driver hiring activity. Throughout 2023, the trend line was higher than in 22 and 21, despite the ongoing freight market lull. The year did end with a dip in hiring activity, although based on the few years of historical data, December seems to be a low month, which is understandable given the holidays. What are your thoughts on what 2023 numbers mean relative to the recent stronger freight years, and what are your ongoing expectations? Sure. So uh, pre-employment queries, I'm oh, sorry, that's a hard thing to say sometimes, pre-employment queries um, were higher uh, in 2023 than they were in 22. But I think the more important comparison really is between those two years in 21, because uh, those were sharply lower. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people might find that, you know, hard to accept given how strong the freight market was. But in fact, that's really one of the reasons. Uh, the pandemic was still a factor in worker availability, of course. But really, the other dynamic that we have to keep in, in mind is the number of newly authorized carriers entering the market. So just strictly from how the clearinghouse works, when a driver leaves a trucking company to get his or her own authority, there's no query involved in that because, you know, the driver is not hiring himself or herself. Um, 
There is, however, a pre-employment query when the carrier losing that driver tries to reseat the truck, uh, but there weren't that many drivers available to hire back then. Um, so, you know, that dynamic shifted in early 2022 because of soaring diesel prices and uh, falling spot rates. Um, but the upshot is that, you know, we had a lot of those drivers get picked up by the larger carriers that were still looking for drivers. So uh, we had displaced drivers needing jobs and we had carriers still needing drivers. And so that's why we had strong pre-employment queries in, in 22 and 23. Now, where, where are things going? As you pointed out, December's weakness probably is mostly seasonal, but I do think that it's it's notable that December was 5% below December of 22, uh, and, and in fact, the lowest since uh, uh, December of 21. Um, when we look at our forecast of a sluggish freight market, we probably will see queries lower this year uh, than they were in 23. Uh, that's not because of a lack of the drivers wanting jobs, but probably because there are fewer jobs available for them. Uh, payroll and employment in, in general freight truckload has been on a, a, a general, fairly gradual, but but definitely downward trend since May, and I would expect that to continue. Well, that brings to mind more questions. I think they're going to unfold here. So sticking with employment data in the context of trucking and drivers, I want to ask you a few more questions on that topic, um, but we need to unfold a few other layers first, namely freight demand and trucking capacity. Those two have been out of balance for going on two years now. So trucking's been in this downturn, freight recession. I think you just said two different realities, which I liked. Market correction cycle, vibe session, whatever term you want to use, rates tumbled and haven't recovered. And that's put financial pressure on a lot of companies in our industry, both big and small. So let's cover the capacity side first. The industry has shed some capacity, at least in terms of carrier count over the last year. But most of those carriers are in the smallest companies in the industry, i.e. one and two truck carriers. At the same time, total carrier count for the other fleet size cohorts has grown. So it seems like larger carriers are mostly absorbing those smaller carriers when they decide to hang it up. What's your take on the capacity correction? What are you seeing in the data? And what are you forecasting from a capacity standpoint for the foreseeable future? And this might get quoted across the industry because I think this is the number one burning question of all folks. Oh, I, I think uh, you have hit on what, what I've been saying for months is the fundamental takeaway, which is, yes, we see a, a large number of, you know, primarily, but not solely small carriers exiting the market, but the drivers displaced by that have, for the most part, found jobs elsewhere in the industry. A lot of that does go back to the point, uh, it's, it's one of my other big points, and, I, and you will hear me say it several times, is that freight, while not growing, is also not falling. And so we basically have, as the capacity shifts, uh, we still have a need for drivers to haul the amount of freight we have. We just have them in different different areas. So, you know, let me go back to my last point before to your last question was, you know, I did say that truckload employment is falling, but it's only down what one more one and a half percent or so since May. And May was essentially an all-time high. So, you know, most of the surge we had, of course, was in the spring and summer of 22, but we kind of held on at least through May to all of that. And even today, we're still um, 4.6% ahead of February of 2020 in, in general freight truckload employment. Uh, and that 
that does not include all of those carriers that are still around uh, that were created in, you know, primarily in 2021, uh, because those don't show up in the BLS data. They're not generally participating in the unemployment insurance program uh, for the for the most part, and therefore we're not even looking at that number. Um, so basically, what I what I'm suggesting is that yes, uh, you know, many of those drivers were simply hired by larger carriers. If we look at the, um, you know, I think you and I are looking at the same data, but probably doing it in a different way. But I think it shows much the same thing, which is that you know, if we look at the smallest group, let's say one to five trucks, uh, by the middle of 2022, they were you know 62 percent. The drivers associated with those carriers were 62 percent higher than before the pandemic. But larger carriers had basically recovered only to where they were before the pandemic. So we've seen growth since then. Uh, and if you look, you know, July of last year, um, we were down about uh, 10 percentage points from the peak for that smaller group. Uh, but the larger group, the 100, you know, 101 plus was up 2%. So we've seen that basically shift. Uh, and we have seen since the middle of last year, a decline. Um, and I'm excluding, by the way, yellow in this analysis because it that would obviously skew things. Um, but, um, you know, so we are seeing a decline, but again, it's, it's, it's a relatively slow one. Um, you know, as, as it relates to capacity, uh, we, we tend to frame capacity more in terms of the dynamic between, uh, available trucks in, in the trucks we need. It's, it's a metric we call active truck utilization. It's specific to class eight. Uh, right now, utilization is roughly 89%. That's several points below the 10-year average of 92%. And we don't expect utilization to get back um, to even the average until early next year. Uh, and it's going to be probably another you know, several months beyond that before we're at any point where we're going to see some, you know, what I would call substantial upward pressure on, on freight rates. That was a lot to unpack. And I'm telling you, you're on fire today with a lot of quotes. So uh, let's keep going. You told me recently that a capacity correction alone won't be a catalyst for rates to rebound. Give us an update on the demand side and why demand needs to recover for rates to grow again, aka are there signs of life for freight volumes? What is the missing piece in the economy to spur a freight demand rebound? Sure. Uh, you know, I will say that in theory, it is possible to lose enough capacity to get an inflection. Um, but we, you know, we, we haven't ever really seen it. We had a, we had a big period from like late 90 or 2015 through, through much of 2017 where we, we were in that situation and we got no inflection until late in that year. Um, and, and that was primarily driven by the hurricanes. Uh, but, um, so, so it is just not really feasible to, to, to get that kind of inflection in. When I say inflection, I'm primarily talking about the stress that's going to create higher rates. Um, so yes, for freight, you know, right now we are not really forecasting any significant improvement in freight until at least the second half of the year. Uh, but there are definitely some upsides, uh, that could, could occur. One is if we continue to see a cooling of inflation, that's going to mean greater buying power for consumers. Uh, if we have a reduction in interest rates, that would also help both business investment and residential construction. 
as well as consumer spending. I wouldn't hold my breath too much on that happening soon. I do think the Fed's done raising rates, but I'm not sure uh, we're going to see rate cuts that soon. Uh, automotive is another possibility. It's a little unclear where we are going to land after the recovery from the UAW strikes, but definitely signs are at this point that we could end up uh, at least stronger than we were before second quarter of last year when we had a kind of a spike. Uh, retail inventories are very lean. Um, that's you know good news for freight because of the need for replenishment. Um, you know, I think though a lot of people put a little too much emphasis on inventories because that because an inventory rebuild generally is is done within a quarter or two. It's not a sustained growth like you get with consumption. But you know, hey, we'll take it. Um, and I think there's the infrastructure uh, bill that I think is really just starting to create. Uh, uh, activity and freight. Uh, now the freight is going to be very, you know, much localized to uh, short haul, you know, like bulk operations and to somewhat lesser extent flatbed. But I think if we want to look at it more broadly, just the economic activity that surrounds that is going to, to have a follow on, you know, trickle down effect, if you will, to, to freight. And then last but not least, I think job growth. Uh, we, we've seen that accelerate in the last couple of months. And that is definitely good news for consumption and the economy in general. Now, there are downsides in that, and, and I've touched on them, which is uh, stronger freight growth can lead to inflation, uh, and it can keep the Fed from reducing interest rates. But I think, by and large, um, you know, that's outweighed. Um, so, you know, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a, a way to look at that. It's a pretty good summary. Um, this one's quick, but I have to get your opinion because I've heard this take several times. The downturn in trucking currently is worse than the 0809 Great Recession. I don't want to <laughs> color your opinion, but I can hardly contain my objections when I hear that. What is your take? Uh, no, and uh, yeah. So the the question may be quick, but I'm not sure my answer is 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 all that quick. But I'll try to try to keep it short. Yeah, you know, I, I would definitely agree with you. The overall impact on the industry that uh, is definitely not on par with the Great Recession. I think there's definitely some recency bias involved in that. But and here, here's where things get a little complicated. It it also does depend on how you want to define things. If if by downturn you want to say what is the difference between the peak in rates and the trough in rates, then it, the statement actually technically is true. Uh, but that's because rates soared to such high levels, you know, unsustainable levels uh, in, you know, the second half of 2021 and especially the, the very beginning of 2022, where you, you did start to see spot rates coming down, but you were, you were still rising in contract rates. So if you want to compare that and, and look at just the difference, just the delta, then yes, that's true. But you know, as I said, the obvious problem with that is that, you know, you're coming off an enormously high base. It was an unsustainable level of rates. And if you want to just look at where rates were, truckload rates in the first quarter of 2022, which was the peak of the current cycle, were about 50% higher than they were in the third quarter of 20 or 2008, which was the peak before the, the um, Great Recession. So now, one other thing, I know a lot of carriers are going to object that I'm not looking at costs. I'm only looking at rates. And I think that's a fair point. 
But there's also another big point here, and that's volume. And we haven't really seen really any decline in truck loadings uh, since the peak. Uh, it hasn't grown, but it, as I said, but it isn't going down either. It's really holding very steady. That's not what we saw in the Great Recession. We saw a very big drop in freight in 2009, and that was actually off, uh, you know, drop in freight in 2008 and e- even in uh, 2007, a much smaller one. And so uh, when we think of it more broadly, you know, revenues are, are, are a function of rates and a volume. Um, it's just no way in my mind that things are worse today. Um, but yes, I mean, if you, if you want to make that case technically, yeah, you could, but I think it is, uh, I think it's a very misleading case to, to try to make. All right. Well, thank you for your take on it. Let's dive into how the demand and capacity dynamics impact driver hiring and retention. Bear with me as I tee this question up. My question will probably be longer than your answer. (laughs) You and I have both been in the industry for over two decades, cringe, and we see those cycles play out over and over. Even in the bottom of cycles, like the one we seem to be in right now, my team and I at NTI still have conversations with fleets of all stripes, all freight types, geographies, sizes, you name it. And they still say it's challenging to hire the drivers they need and retain the ones they have. The challenges are even greater the more nuanced the job, the higher the labor component, and the more stringent the hiring qualifications are. Part of the cycle is because of the cyclicality that we've talked about. The industry at large and companies individually focus on building a pipeline of drivers when times are good. We focus on and emphasize growing interest in trucking and attracting new people to our industry. And then when tougher cycles follow, we de-emphasize those. The pipeline ends up drained and we wake up to heightened demand for drivers and a depleted pool to draw from. The current cycle, for example, is starting to feel a lot like 16 and 17, leading into the boom year of 18, and then the 2019 and 2020 down cycle, leading into the 2021 boom directly afterwards. Stick with me here. It's so baked in our industry's culture and in many ways contributes to the cyclicality of supply and demand patterns. So finally, my question to you, Avery, is how can we work toward greater stability in the industry from the labor side throughout these up and down cycles? How do we focus on keeping new drivers interested in the industry and possibly disconnect that process from the bleeding edge of the up and down cycles? And why do you see those things as important? Well, that question has a lot to unpack there. Although, actually, I'll, I'll just stick with what your actual question was, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of uh, uh, avoid all your premise. Um, and I do agree with most of that. One thing I will say is that, you know, no, our current forecast does not envision us getting to a seventeen eighteen type dynamic. But you know, because of the interplay between the loss of capacity and increase in freight. But I will point out all of those upsides that I talked about earlier. If you know, some or all of those were to come into play, our, you know, our freight forecast is going to be low. Uh, and therefore, um, you know, we, we could, could see that in this cycle. So to your question, um, now I frankly think there is an inherent cyclicality to the industry that, that is just impossible to get around. Um, and, you know, so, so the idea of having, you know, perfectly stable capacity is just not, not going to happen. Um, now there have been some ideas to kind of offset that or sort of, uh, or, you know, 
sort of mitigate against that. You know, one of them is, you know, index, index based uh, rating um, that's became very popular with, uh, with shippers during, you know, 2001 and 2018 probably became more popular with carriers uh, last year and 2019. And, and I think that's part of the point is why I don't think it'll happen is that, you know, to move to uh, the current kind of uh, supply demand type uh, rates to something like an index base means somebody's going to have to give up their leverage. And I don't see that happen. But yeah, we do have dedicated contract carriage, which is kind of a way to get to the same thing. Uh, on a more bilateral basis between a shipper and a carrier. And that's become definitely more popular. And I do think it is a path um, to, to greater stability. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. Uh, there are certainly stresses on that um, because of, you know, swings in rates as well. But it's, you know, definitely become more popular over time. Now, as for expanding the pool, uh, you know, I don't know that I have a whole lot there to add that, you know, most of your audience doesn't know as much or more about than, than I do. I do think that we need to figure out some way to have a path, you know, right out of high school because, you know, as long as, you know, long haul trucking is a plan B for everyone, uh, it's going to be a, a, a problem. Um, we also have to recognize that <clears throat> the lifestyle associated with over the road trucking is, is a barrier to a lot of people. Um, so, you know, ways to to deal with that or to get the kind of density you need to do relays, for example. Um, it, unfortunately, that may mean uh, carriers working together uh, in getting that kind of density. That might be a barrier to it happening. But bo bottom line is things like relays, things like, um, you know, dedicated add more pr predictability and I think open the industry up to more people. Uh, obviously, many drivers do like the sort of long haul um, you know, irregular route uh, lifestyle, uh, but I don't think we're in any danger of losing enough jobs to satisfy to satisfy that. Um, and then, you know, there's one other hurdle. You and I have talked about it before, um, and, and that is the legalization of marijuana. Um, you know, I do applaud Atri for kind of wading in sort of gingerly into to this topic uh, last year, uh, suggesting that, you know, if we could get a nationally recognized impairment test, in new standards that would help. Of course, that runs counter to what a lot of a um, lot of carriers are doing themselves, which is using hair testing uh, instead of urine testing, so they can catch more drivers. So there's kind of a lot going on in that. Uh, so it's unclear, but um, you know, as we see uh, marijuana become more and more prevalent, uh, it is going to be more difficult, you know, to to attract drivers, unfortunately. I, I have no arguments at all. And I, I want to tell you that my fellow board members at the Next Generation and Trucking Association are all going to clip your quote about <laughs> um, plan A for trucking and not plan B. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to we're going to repurpose. Um, let's talk trucking demographics and driver count for a minute. You spent the weekend diving into data from the Department of Labor about trucking employment. What were some of the highlights that you found in the data and what should the takeaways be for our, our audience here? Sure. Um, without going into a whole lot of detail, let me just say that this, this data we get once a year in January, and it's the only data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that looks at the entire industry and not just the payroll side of the industry. So, you know, all the data we get each month 
uh, on payroll employment does not address, you know, least owner operators and it doesn't address the vast majority of sole proprietors or, or, or other very small <clears throat> operations. So it's kind of interesting stuff. Now, unfortunately, it's an annual average, so it, it isn't tremendously useful in getting sort of a, a, a trend, but it's a good snapshot. It's also the source of the data that we read from the government on age, gender, you know, race and ethnicity. So, you know, it's obviously closely looked at and, and widely debated, I might, I might also point out. So I'm still digging through the data, but one thing that really caught my mind, caught my eye was that, um, that the average trucking employment, uh, last year was down 51,000, but the average number of people in truck transportation aged 20 to 24 was up 19,000. Uh, that's an 18% increase. Uh, and every other group was down except for 55 to 64, which was up about 5,000, which and that's obviously a much smaller percentage too. Um, and the only other year that we saw an increase that was larger than, than that for the 20 to 24 group was 2019. Um, and that was when employment was up by 21,000, which was about 25% almost. So when you look at this, you know, you, you think of 2017 and 2018 and you think of 21 and 22. And I think you kind of get a similar dynamic there, which is that, you know, the industry is pushing, 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 trying to bring in new drivers, and it finally pays off. Uh, the question, the big question, of course, is can you keep those drivers? That's a whole other uh, conversation, which we've touched on, but but haven't really gotten that heavily into. Um, yeah, let me let me make a big uh, point here, though. And that is this is the this isn't data on truck drivers. This is data on truck transportation. Uh, as, as you know, um, there's also data on the category called driver sales workers in truck drivers. Um, that data actually contradicts this. It shows that, uh, that, uh, driver sales workers in truck drivers age 20 to 24 fell by 28,000, which is about 11%. And it was the only age group to see a decline except for 65 or older, which was down by uh, about 9,000, which, you know, was understandable because of retirements. So, you know, we have this, we have an issue though, that just like the truck transportation industry is broader than heavy truck drivers, you know, driver sales workers in truck drivers is broader. Uh, and which one is better? Well, you know, I did some math and I would say that basically 70% of truck transportation is heavy truck drivers, 56% of driver sales workers in, in truck drivers or heavy truck drivers. So if you have to pick one of them, you know, it would be truck transportation, I would say, but neither one of them is particularly, you know, satisfactory as a, as a proxy. There's still a, a pretty big gap there between the total, you know, and, and what the percentage of those that are, that are drivers. But, you know, I, I think it's probably closer. And one final point there is that, you know, I did look at the, the data on, uh, you know, women in, in trucking and, you know, it's pretty different depending on which of those you look at. So, you know, 6.9% uh, of driver sales workers and truck drivers are women. 11.9% uh, of truck transportation is women. So, you know, arguably based on what I just said, that 11.9% is closer um, for heavy truck drivers. But I think it's fair to say, or at least it's my belief that the percentage of female workers in trucking who are not drivers is probably higher than the percentage of female drivers. And so that would tend to bring that down some something below 
I think uh, the general consensus from all of those numbers is that um, maybe some of the targeted groups over the last decade are are seemingly climbing, um, we hope, and maybe uh, some of our, our efforts are productive. I'll, I'll use that word. Um, let's end on a fun note. 30 seconds or less. You're a big music lover. I see you traveling all over the place for concerts and <laughs> shows. What's on the concert agenda in the next few months? Any good shows upcoming that we need to know about? You know, I haven't focused on that as much this year as I, d I did last year. Uh, among the major tours out there, I suppose the Stones and Billy Joel would be at the top of my list, but I also saw them in the 80s. So I'm not sure I want to, you know, I, I think I might want to remember them as they were then more than now. Uh, in fact, I remember I, I saw the Stones in December of 1981. And I remember thinking how old they seemed. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, I think Nick was 37 at the time, uh, and and for me, it, you know, as a I think a freshman as a or a freshman of sophomore in college, um, I was thinking that was ancient. So, uh, but that being said, I, I did see Springsteen about a year ago, and I thought um, I thought frankly it was as good as the one I saw back in. Uh, I actually I thought saw it twice in '84 and '85, and um, so yeah. So he's still the boss, is what you're he's saying. He's still the boss, absolutely. All right. Well, Avery, as always, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much market intelligence and your insights with us. I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Stay tuned for next week's show when Jeremy Raymer will be joined by Ben Schill, CEO of Paper Transport, in what I am sure will be a fantastic conversation. Once again, thank you for the sponsors of today's show. And if you are interested in sponsoring Taking the Higher Road, email Jeremy at takingthehigherroad.com. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.